0: Hey everyone, can you do us a quick favor? If you listen on iTunes, can you open the app and give us a five-star rating? Your ratings help us become more visible in searches, which allows us to connect with more secondhand enthusiasts like yourself. We appreciate it so much. Now let's get into today's episode. Ah, January, a time for rest, relaxation, reflection, and C-SPAN? In the midst of decluttering and downsizing for the year ahead, I found myself down a rabbit hole of articles and interviews and C-SPAN discussions on the secondhand resale economy, which all got me thinking more deeply about the other side of thrifting, the donation cycle. I started asking questions like what happens to our clothes after we donate them, what are some of the common misconceptions about the donation process, and how can I become more mindful about what and how I donate my stuff in the upcoming year. Keep listening for answers to these questions and more in episode 21 of Allow Us to Re-Thrift Reduce Ourselves. Welcome back, everyone. Happy New Year. I'm Dina. I'm Shannon. I can't believe you are recording on the first day of school. I know.
1: I hope you didn't catch me like yawning just now. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How was the first day? Awesome. Got did all kinds of fun stuff. Well, good. Yeah, I'm just hoping tomorrow is just as good. We'll see. I think I'm going to have grumpy pants kids tomorrow. Today was like fun, you know? Friday might be rough. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to get back into the new
0: season of the podcast, but I'm not going to lie. It was a little little hard for me to think of a topic that was related to shopping and tips because I'm just like so sick of shopping after the holiday season. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of uninspired. I'm totally bloated and like... (laughs) So (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about the other side of thrifting, okay, which is like the donation side. And, you know, it's January. It's the time of year where we're all donating tons of stuff, literally tons. So much, yes. Literal, literal tons. And so I started reading this book called Secondhand Travels in the New Global Garage Sale. And it's this book written by a journalist who traveled the world and chronicled the secondhand recycling economy.
1: Dang, what are we NPR right now? Look at you.
0: That's where I learned about him, was on NPR. I went down this rabbit hole, Shannon, listening to this guy's interviews, ended up on (laughs) C-SPAN. Dan came home and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm I'm watching C-SPAN. He's like, ha ha ha. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm not kidding. I'm I'm watching C-SPAN. This guy is so interesting. And so all of this got me thinking about the whole donation process and how there's kind of a lack of knowledge around the donation part of it. Totally. There's so much information and resources about shopping, how to become a more smarter, sustainable shopper. I mean, that's all we talked about on the podcast last year. Right. But I feel like the average person doesn't know much about what happens to their clothes after they donate them. So I thought we'd talk about that today and talk about a little bit about our donations and the impact they have on the resale economy, both here locally in our community and globally. Talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions people have and how we can be more mindful about what and how we donate. Ooh, I love that. Did you listen to the guy's interview? Yeah. Okay. I signed homework for Shannon. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that this is way deeper than what the average person thinks when they just bag up some clothes and dump it at a local thrift store. But it's actually a really fascinating process and
1: one that impacts all of us at some point. Right. I mean, we all wear clothes, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, I I am interested in this. I'm not even going to lie to you. When you first told me about it, I was like, Oh my gosh, snorefest. What? But then you had me listen to that. Yeah. NPR thing is really interesting. Well, never, never thought it went that far or that many people were involved.
0: So let's start with the basic cycle of donating to a traditional nonprofit thrift store. So like your goodwills, your salvation armies, and other th- similar thrift stores across the country. So you get your stuff ready, you drop it off at the thrift store, it's sorted and processed. In the store, in the back, to either be sold in their retail store, or in some places, some thrift stores have boutiques. Like Goodwill has a boutique, they'll send some some of that stuff there. Some thrift stores have online retail stores as well, which we're seeing a lot more of that, um, and I think we'll continue to see more of that this year. So. Either way, it's processed to be sold in their stores and then the sales support whatever the thrift store's mission is. So it could be homelessness, cancer, victims of domestic violence, workforce development, so on and so forth. So what doesn't sell after a few weeks gets moved to what's sort of called like a last chance location. Sometimes there are bins in the actual store. In Goodwill's case, they send them to their outlet stores, which are also known as the bins. Other thrift stores across the country... Um, have different approaches to this. And this is something I learned about recently. I came across an article where some thrift stores will actually give kind of their surplus some of their surplus to specific initiatives so maybe there's a local group that works with refugees and immigrants who need furniture
1: oh that's smart yeah
0: or like maybe there's a a local group who does stuff with um people who lost their homes to fires and stuff like that okay so i thought that was really interesting i I hadn't heard of that before
1: right what about uh the yellow bins you see like around or i think sometimes they're green where you Just dump clothes. And usually it says clothing on the outside.
0: So those are always kind of like a mystery to a lot of people. And honestly, they were a little bit of a mystery to me for years. Yeah. Because I usually don't drop my stuff off there. So I hadn't really done that much research. But those bins that you see in the parking lots that say clothing or Planet Aid or whatever, the process... For that, all depends on who owns the actual bin. Sometimes you'll see a bin that will say "Planet Aid" on it. Okay. Um, Sometimes it'll say a nonprofit's name, like AmVets or Big Brothers Big Sisters.
1: Oh. So there's
0: two tracks
1: to that. Okay.
0: If a nonprofit owns the bin, let's let's say AmVets because that's a super common one around Akron or around Northeast Ohio. Let's say it's AmVets, and you put your clothes in there. The nonprofit group, AMVETS, will take these clothes and then partner with a privately owned thrift store and sell them those clothes. The proceeds from the sales will then support their programs.
1: Okay, this makes so much more sense to me because when you go to the village, you donate in the back and the back it says it's the AMVETS. And it says I'm helping out blind people, but I never could understand how I was helping out blind people by giving them all of my stuff, you know?
0: Isn't that so fascinating? Yes, this
1: makes so much more sense now. So
0: yeah, then what they'll do is they'll partner with a store like The Village. The Village will purchase those from AMVETS. AMVETS will then use that money to help their their blind programs, their programs for the blind. And then... The village, in turn, resells those items. That's so cool. Yeah. So then then you have some bins that are owned by companies called, like, Planet Aid. Before I tell you what they do with it, let me back up and tell you what happens to the surplus at thrift stores, because both of these paths are going to merge oh, together at some point. Okay. So let's say a traditional kind of retail thrift store has a bunch of stuff left over. It, it hasn't sold on the sales floor. It hasn't sold in their bins. It hasn't sold in their last chance locations. So then what they'll do is they'll sell they'll sell these items to a textile recycling company. These companies are essentially in the business of finding new life for the stuff we don't buy or that can't be sold at thrift stores. So they will take some of the stuff, And recycle it into new items like rags. Rags are pretty are pretty common. So um, stuffing for car
1: seats, insulation, things like that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, I always wondered like how they could possibly do anything with like when you give Goodwill a bag of salvage. Like, what are they going to do with this? It's like garbage to me. Right, it's garbage to anybody. I would think. So then I see now. Right, and I will say some stuff
0: that ends up at thrift stores based on what I've read and my C-SPAN hours, <laughs> is that some stuff really does end up in the trash. Some stuff has just reached the end of its lifespan. Okay. And I think that's just, it's a harsh reality that we have to accept that some of the things we wear or use at some point in time are going to reach the end of their lifespan. It's going to die. Right. right? And and you can only recycle things so many times. You can only resell things so many times. And, and some of what ends up at thrift stores... Just can't be recycled and can't be resold again. Okay. What can't be recycled into rags or or rugs or anything like that will then be resold into a new market. And typically these markets are in places like Africa or Japan. Oh, okay. Fun fact I learned that Africa is one of the largest importers of secondhand clothing in the world. Dang, the world? Yeah. Okay. Wow. And I also learned that Japan is one of the largest importers of secondhand vintage clothing in the world. That is so interesting. I wonder why. They have like a pretty hoppin' vintage scene. I've never been. Well, you need to watch a doc on it. I know. So what happens is, so these textile companies will have this stuff. They'll bail it up. They'll select the markets that they're going to go to. So some stuff will go to Japan. Some stuff will go to just all over the world, right? The majority of it is ending up in Africa. This brings me back to the point about the donation bins in the parking lots. For the for the ones that belong to companies like Planet Aid, for example, they essentially act like that textile recycling company. There's no really nonprofit touch point before it gets to them. It goes okay. directly to them. They own these bins. Then they will try to sell them into new markets in places like Africa.
1: But like that takes like a huge pile down to a tiny little small pile that goes to then the garbage right yeah i mean that makes me feel a little bit better yeah so all these things are being recycled and taken to all these places what happens once they get there like say a bunch of stuff gets shipped to africa Mm -hmm. what happens so a common misconception
0: Is that a lot of this stuff is dumped into developing countries? Right. Like we've seen these pictures of just like bales and bales of secondhand clothing in developing countries. Yeah. And I've learned that the used clothing is typically is typically going to places where they have a market to resell it. So think about it. It's expensive to ship stuff overseas. Why would a resale buyer, so these textile companies, recycling companies, Purchase used clothes in the literal tons, (laughs) bail it up, pay to ship it somewhere, only for it to be dumped or burned.
1: Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It makes no financial sense for them to do that. It's so funny. I think that we've always thought that because we see it in movies and things like that, but like we've never stopped to actually think about the money behind it. Yeah, it's a business. It's a business. In my head, it's like I just think like airplanes would fly over and just open up and dump stuff out. (laughs) Like what? Why what are we watching or we're believing? Right. And I'm sure
0: there are there are some ethical and political things that are happening in the mix. Oh but yeah. Generally speaking, used clothing, secondhand clothing, is considered to be a commodity, right? Oh, like yeah. it is it is bought and sold and it's a business. Mm-hmm. And so for example, like I was thinking about this. I'm like, that's like if I bought a whole lot of clothing from you, Shannon, <laughs> with the intention to resell it at a community yard sale, but instead I took what I bought from you and dumped it in my neighbor's backyard. I'm like, "See ya." Recycle this. Figure out what to do with it. it I just yeah. it doesn't make sense. Gosh, so ignorant. And a fun fact I learned also from this book that I was reading that a lot of the buyers who are buying to resell these secondhand bales of clothing in their communities, a lot of them are female entrepreneurs. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Let's say it arrives in a country overseas. Some of it can be bought to be resold wholesale or some of it can be bought to be just sold in somebody's store.
1: Okay. So it it
0: all depends on who the buyer is. And as I was reading all of this, I thought, oh my goodness, it all came kind of crashing down on me. I'm like, this is the way I experienced secondhand shopping when I lived in Jordan. Because places like Jordan, where we don't have enough in our economy to create a resale economy, right? Like we don't have enough new and used stuff to go around to create like a robust resale economy the way that we do here. Okay. Like here in the United States, we buy so much stuff right that we have so much to circulate around. Right. So in Jordan, we relied a lot on secondhand clothing to come from places like Europe. It wasn't always great, but it wasn't horrible either. And so I would go with my family and you know we would buy whatever they had purchased from these european countries the second-hand clothing and then they would then be
1: resold in markets in jordan Uh and and we utilized it like that's how we bought used clothing there that's so cool to think like i didn't even stop to think that maybe there wouldn't be enough i'm so just stuck in the american way and i just assume like jordan must be just like america and you probably have tons of thrift stores and tons of little places and i don't think that like you're not as humongous like we're huge and we have tons of stuff and we're consumers and right it all it's it all
0: ties in together and that's why i'm so fascinated fascinated with this topic because it all ties in together our buying habits are manufacturing habits. All of that ties into how it ends up in the resale economy. Right, right. And how profitable the resale economy is. Like it's like a multi-billion dollar industry. This whole buying and reselling and and taking it to new markets and and recycling it. Like that's like a multi-billion dollar industry. Right. But most of us, the average person, and I wouldn't even, you know, you were kind of saying like, oh my gosh, how did I not know this? I think the average person isn't thinking that far ahead. No, not They're at like, all. are like, I wore it. I'm done with it. I'm donating it to my local thrift store. Somebody's probably going to buy it in a few weeks. Yep, done. exactly. Yep, yep. Never goes further than that. And sometimes that's the case. Right. But because we're donating so much stuff, there's a pretty good chance that it might not be
1: sold locally. Right, right. A question about when you're a kid and you're getting things in Jordan, do you have anything memorable that you used to get like at a thrift store? Or? I remember specific. I got a pair of knockoff Chuck Taylor
0: Converse sneakers. Oh,
1: that's fun. That's yeah. it, see that that's crazy to me so I wouldn't think that you couldn't buy those, you know. But here, like, of course, you could buy them here. Yeah, but like there, you had to find them at a thrift store.
0: And I'm sure it could have, but, but it would have been way, way too expensive. Yeah. It would have, you know, been whatever the retail European cost would have been, right? Because yeah. they're probably importing it from Europe, right? And then they've got to pay all those taxes and import fees and all that stuff. Yeah. And so at that time. Shopping was really expensive for Mm -hmm. full retail because a lot of it was European boutique brands. Mm -hmm. It was ridiculous, and like for a family of four or whatever, you know, you three kids, you don't know, you're not buying that. I have this distinct memory, and it was kind of like um. A small kind of warehouse and they had things in boxes and bins. Very similar to like a Goodwill outlet. I love that you can remember it so Oh, vividly. I'll never forget it. And I remember going with my mom. It was called like clothing warehouse or basement warehouse. Something like that. And I would ask my mom to take me and I would dig through these bins. I was like probably 12, 11. Oh, that's so cool. And I dig through these bins and I remember getting those shoes. Because remember when like chunky sh- sneakers were in style? Oh, yeah. It was kind of that style. Okay, I remember. Mm-hmm. And I paired cool. it with like a a remember this oh, shannon i've been obsessed with this do stuff you have like a picture i do i okay. have to uh, but like our, our stuff has all been kind of lost but i remember there was a picture of me in a sh- Dilia's shirt that my cousin Fadia brought mm. when she visited and had like a dragon on it <laughs> <laughs> and i paired it with what i thought were like cool baggy jeans but they were like yeah knockoff Trendy
1: baggy jeans. Oh,
0: yeah. Bad also look. so bad anyway. Yeah. It not
1: really And I yeah. thought I was
0: like, oh, I'm wearing baggy jeans. And then I paired it with these sneakers. Oh,
1: that's cute.
0: <laughs> so there's definitely a lot of positive impact to the overall donation and resale cycle, both locally and globally. Locally, you're supporting a lot of different local nonprofits and the work that they're doing right here in our communities. You're keeping stuff out of landfills. You are providing for other people who need nice quality new clothing and a lot of what we're donating is ending up in the hands of markets and people who want them but with all that we're still donating a lot more than what the world can need or buy oh that makes me sick so i was thinking let's talk about how we can have a more positive impact on the overall donation cycle now that we know how
1: large it is right i think that we should be more mindful of the things that we are donating um, something that I've never thought of before until listening to all the cool stuff that you've learned <laughs> <laughs> is the stuff that I donate a lot of times is on its last leg mm-hmm. and that's why I'm donating it. But I think that like, I have things in my drawers and maybe even in storage in the basement that I've been holding on to for a really long time for no reason other than maybe I'll fit into it one day, but like, come on, I'm not going to fit into anything that I fit into when I was 16 years old. And, it, and the reason I have it is because it's really new or because I only wore it a handful of times and I just can't give it up yet. Right. Like, what's the point of me holding on to it when I can give it a new life by giving it to Goodwill yep. and then giving, letting someone else actually use it and right. not just sit in my basement?
0: That point got me thinking about some of the areas at the thrift store where we feel like it's lacking. So for example, we know that there's a serious lack of quality plus size and maternity clothing at thrift stores. Yes. And so I'm like, all right, let's back up. What's happening here? Obviously, there's not a lot at the top of the chain, right? But a lot of women are holding on to them longer, you're giving them away to your own networks. And then the stuff that we're actually seeing the stuff that gets filtered down to the thrift store
1: is not the greatest. Yeah, that's true. I feel like that is is in direct correlation with plus size clothes. Until recently, like the plus size movement is huge within the last 10 years. I mean, it's really changed. But like let's say 10 years ago, And I'm not saying it's perfect now, but 10 years ago when you went to the thrift store and you looked for plus size clothes, it was raggedy old crap that people could no longer wear and they just took it in. But like with plus size and with maternity, you have that whole like, I'm still going to even if like, say you've lost 20 pounds, but as a bigger person, you know that you could gain those 20 pounds Mm -hmm. back. You're not going to give that stuff away because you could need it desperately, you know? So it's just like if you get pregnant you could need that stuff desperately so you feel like this need that you have to hold on to it even if it's not the best quality because you've already paid for it you know you've already done everything you needed to do like you know this thing fits so i've never heard like, truer words Shannon. like it's yeah it's just like it's a desperation that you keep yeah it. so it's, true it's like a, a security blanket till so you get to a certain point where you know that it's ridiculous but I mean, not everybody's that lucky. I'm not, you know, like the last 20 years I've been the same. So if everybody's giving away their good stuff, you then are going to get good stuff as well. So the
0: takeaway for me is let go of the stuff that you really are honestly not going to be using or can't give to a friend. Even if it's your
1: most favorite sweater from 1994. You know, like I I have these things in my home right now. I'm not even going to lie. Like I have a bag of stuff that is like, from the 90s, that I'm like, I'm gonna wear that one day. Do you know what a fool I'm gonna look like if I try to wear this stuff that I had on back I then? I wouldn't see this stuff. It's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. From maybe, the 90s? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's like from like. I, okay this is my guess on what it's from is like 99 to 2001 ish like in there yeah i i agree with you i
0: think you just kind of have to do like a, a closet assessment and just be very honest with yourself about things that you know you'll never wear again even if it is, still has the tags attached even if it's still brand new and like somehow putting it into the the donation cycle so we can improve the the stuff that goes in there improve the quality because in turn that's going to sell somebody else is going to wear it it's going to support the local nonprofit that you donated it to right it's a whole there's so many different facets to it right instead we're just holding on to everything
1: and then people may be looking for those things and they have to go by fast fashion to have it when you have it you can just give it you know i mean i think that that is a key in keeping the cycle going at the thrift store and keeping it's almost like you're helping your sister out at the thrift store you know When you say that, I think of some of the most generous donors who donate the most incredible things. And we've been the recipients of those things. A hundred percent. When I see some of the stuff that people donate, I'm always just like, who did this? Right. I love you. You know, like I can't even believe it.
0: Well, I love where this conversation is going because so many times we've said, who donated that? Who would get rid of that? Yes. And then, but think about it like maybe somebody is thinking like hey i'm done with this i have no use for it nobody in my immediate family or, or network of friends would want this let me let somebody else enjoy it let exactly. a complete stranger enjoy it in turn helping this nonprofit that i believe in flourish yep i love it so next time you ask why would somebody donate this or i can't believe the stuff people donate you
1: know think of it from a positive point of view and maybe you should pay it forward like if you find something really cool then you should go home and find something really cool and give it back that's all that's our homework yes that's everybody's homework
0: (laughs) i love that because i have a hard time with some really valuable quality things
1: too that i'm like oh good luck with your uh, fancy dresses well the sequin dresses (laughs) if you could see her face right now (laughs)
0: We all know I've established a small collection that I'm going to pass down to my daughter. Oh, there it
1: is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, along the same lines, one solution I thought of to help improve the overall donation cycle and have a more positive impact on that is to be more mindful of what we're buying to begin with. So that, again, is part of the cycle. What we buy is eventually arguably going to end up in the recycling donation resale stream. So if we are buying higher quality things to begin with, we are then increasing the chances of it having a new life. Right. And so this is sort of the problem with fast fashion. And we talked all about fast fashion in, in a separate episode but the issue with fast fashion and the the decline in quality clothing is that we purchase these items we wear them one to five times donate them to a local thrift store then these items either don't sell or in some cases aren't even put on the sales floor because the quality is so bad then they get sold to textile recyclers who can't recycle them into rags, and then in turn might have difficulty reselling them to new markets in other countries
1: because other countries don't want our garbage either. They don't want our low-quality crap either. Oh, that's terrible that we can't even turn some of our old crap into rags. It's that bad. It is. So something I have a hard time with is um, when I want to buy something um, say for work, say I need new black jeans. I have a hard time because yes, I do need those new black jeans. Right. But number one, I'm plus size. So where am I going to find them? Probably Amazon or Lane Bryant or old Navy or target. These are all fast fashion places, you know, so I'm kind of stuck. So I have to kind of figure out, is it worth it? Are my old jeans really that bad? Mm -hmm. Do I need to recycle my old jeans? Like, are there holes? Are there, you know, I need to like think about what I'm doing. Am I just buying because I want to buy? Am I just buying because I saw some girl that looked cute and I want to have the exact same jeans as her? Mm -hmm. Do I need them? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's that's a really good thing that I need to stop and think about. But another thing is is it worth it in the long run? Am I going to wear them for five times and then they're going to be worn mm-hmm. out because they're garbage in the first place? Sure, they're only 20 bucks, but are they going to work? Like, can I wear them for two years? I have pants that I've worn for the last two, three years, and I feel like anything I purchase needs to kind of go that long. But my, I think for this year, what I really need to think about is I need to assess what's in my closet already, realize that I probably have enough. Right. You know, like it's that's just not like a big slowing deal. down. Yes. Slowing down your thought process
0: before you make any purchase. Really, it's just being way more thoughtful about your purchases. Yes. Like really thinking it through. I really like your point about there are some jeans you've worn for three years. I mean, my gosh, like we don't even, think that far ahead no anymore no you're like how can i use this this season
1: yes yes mm-hmm. right and and two like we have to think about what kind of pollution it's causing for us to buy this cheap pair of jeans or this cheap top or you know because like we get it 15 20 dollars But then later we've caused all this other pollution because of it being made, because of it being transported, because um, after we've worn it five times and we're sick of it, then what kind of pollution is being made when it's garbage Mm -hmm. and it can't even be turned into, you know, a rug or say then it does get turned into something but then more pollution is going in like to it being created into rags and then somebody's got to ship it to africa or whatever like yeah all of these things are causing pollution in the cycle right right
0: another really interesting way to improve the donation cycle and have a more positive impact on that cycle is to think about where you're donating stuff Yeah, that's so true. So isn't it intriguing how
1: everybody has a different approach to donations? Yeah, mine is kind of, I mean, mine's not intriguing. I just throw it all in the box and go to the nearest, like, Goodwill, drop it, get get a coupon. That is intriguing. That's your process, right? Like, that's your strategy. Some people will only go
0: to, like, specific places, because they believe in the mission. Oh. Okay. And that's kind of where I wanted to take this this conversation is like, what if we were more mindful of where we're taking our, our donations based on what this organization does? If we're trying to make a more positive impact, think about what this organization does. So like find maybe a mission that you really truly believe in. Okay, that's interesting. I've never even stopped to think about that. All right, well here here's how here's why I thought about that. I have recently been doing some projects with the Discovery Shop and they're part of the American Cancer Society. And the people who shop there or donate there a lot of times are really, really, really tied to the mission because... Maybe they knew somebody who had cancer, or they lost somebody who took cancer. And so they feel real, they feel a really strong connection to that mission. And they want to know that their donations are going to a good cause and that they're going to a good home and a, and a nice environment and they're going to be treated with care. And yeah, this makes so much sense. I never stopped to think about that. It could be any mission that you believe in, right? right. Like there are so many different organizations that accept donations. Like I have friends that only donate to homeless shelters or women's right. shelters because they believe in that mission and they and that's where they want their stuff to go yeah that's so true but i think you know some people are like that and then a lot of people are like i don't care just get it out of my house right. I don't care where which nonprofit or what clothing bin it ends up in right but if we're talking about having a more positive impact i think that's one really smart way to go yeah all right and then lastly this is kind of a fun thing to do I think that one really fun way for us to become more mindful donors is to experience the thrift store as a shopper and not just a donor. This is
1: blowing my mind because like I can't imagine pulling up at Goodwill and not going in. But a lot of people are like that. A lot of people,
0: including my husband, for example, (laughs) donates tons of stuff to Goodwill, doesn't pull around
1: to go in to go shop. Yeah. You know? That's so weird to me. Like, how can he ever live with you and not go to a thrift store? (laughs) You know, and so... And
0: Didi talked about this, too, in episode 11, where she, you know, she talks about a lot of donors who aren't necessarily shoppers. And I think the reason I say that is that I think that shopping or experiencing a thrift store as a shopper will help you become more mindful of what you donate, how you donate. It will remove a lot of misconceptions and it will just really change your perception about the
1: entire resale thrift recycling cycle totally and they can see like exactly how it works like go in there check it out that makes total sense to me i
0: think it'll be a fun little project so we have two homework assignments find something in your closet that is valuable to you but you know has just reached the end of its journey with you in your closet right and donate it okay to a mission that you believe in Ooh, okay and number two if you are donors and not shoppers go inside the thrift store and experience it as a shopper
1: oh i really hope we hear from some of those people i want to see like their perspective yeah, 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 yeah. dina should we start a TikTok? tock a dean's day's <laughs> TikTok. tock <laughs> we could Shannon. start do you have you you would start doing these dances that these people these kids are doing we would get more followers for that just I know. to make fun of us and i'd be okay with it well we have to tell them about our vine days Oh, because TikTok is essentially Vine, hundred percent, and
0: we did it first. We, ugh. we
1: ugh, it was all you, Shannon. You, oh, it was so much fun.
0: I'll never forget it. You were like, "There's this thing called Vine, and people are flying on brooms like Harry Potter." <laughs> I was like, "What did? What did I just hear? I don't even understand the words that you're saying." You're like, <laughs> "She's like, huh?
1: she's like, just meet me outside in the park." <laughs> And I remember we we did it like where their cameras couldn't see us so we wouldn't get in trouble because it was not lunchtime. (laughs) This was at work, you guys. Oh, it was like, you know, the three o'clock hour when you're like over it and want to go home.
0: Oh my God. I still have that picture somewhere. Oh, it's
1: amazing.
0: She's like, let's go to the parking lot and we're going to try to (laughs) record a vine that looks like we're flying on a broom. You have to post this now. Oh my God. You got to find it.
1: I hope you have. Yeah, I
0: think it's like, I have to go back in my Facebook memories and okay. I'll find it. Oh, that's great. And then we did one where we jumped out of the fridge yeah. at work. Yeah. I've posted that one on Instagram before.
1: It's so funny. I mean, I don't know. if Do people think it's funny? I don't care. I think it's funny. Oh, my God. We were basically like sketch comedians yeah. back then. Dina fell and couldn't get up.
0: Yep. We did a, a fallen and I can't get up video. <laughs> great day. Great day. <laughs> Shout out to... <laughs> Shout out
1: to to Minnie Valdez for being our co-star yeah. in our Vine
0: videos. Do you want
1: to know what my favorite one that I did that you probably don't remember?
0: What, wait, I think okay. I do. Really? Tell me. Um, I, I, no, I think I do. I think I know. Say it. There's two. No, okay. I know. I know. Okay. The one with Brian when he wore the lipstick.
1: <gasps> that one was so funny. I forgot about that. Okay, if it's
0: not that one, was it, I heard it through the grapevine
1: when we ate grapes? <laughs> really funny too neither of them neither of them i did one by myself at home oh and i thought i was gonna go viral <laughs> it was so funny dina i made myself look like i was pregnant and then i birthed a cat <laughs> what you saw it definitely you, you just remember it yeah like you know how you do you still have it i don't think so yeah She shannon <laughs> it was so good what would you do if you went viral I think I would freak out. Yeah, I would. I would be nervous about everybody at my job and stuff seeing it. Yeah, I would. I mean, if like it, it was it. just even if it was just like normal, it would kind of freak me out. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Let us know if you want us to start a TikTok. <laughs> you know, so it'd sort of be really funny. If everybody is like,
0: "Hell no,
1: <laughs> you weirdos!" Oh my gosh.
0: Thanks for listening to Allow Us to Rethrift Reduce Ourselves. For episode show notes, go to Dina'sdays.com slash podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Dina's Days and Fat Don't Crack, and on Facebook, Rethrift Reduce Podcast.